0: plan for your life do you know where you want to go are you looking to be happier healthier and wealthier while having more fun every day meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener cynthia bryan as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research innovations strategies and techniques to strengthen your life business and personal spaces be inspired motivated encouraged and empowered lend us your ears right here on star style be the star you are the party starts now
1: Hello. Welcome Power Partners at Star Style Be The Star You Are and I am your host Cynthia Ryan. Always glad to be here with you. We will be continuing our Wednesdays with writers and performers here. Live on the Voice America Network, giving authors, actors, artists, entertainers who have had their live performances and events canceled due to COVID 19 a platform to shine. And our guest for today, coming up in segment two, is Kathleen Kalb. She's the author of A Fatal Finale, which is introducing a swashbuckling a Gilded Age opera singer. And uh, it's a murder mystery, I think, is probably the way to say it. And it all takes place in the Gilded Age in 1899. Uh, Kathleen is actually a New York broadcaster, so it'll be fun talking to her. So make sure that you stay tuned for segment two and segment three, of course. In segment three, we will talk about Guardians of the Garden Galaxy, because uh, lots of people are afraid of Spiders or reptiles or, or other um, slippery, slimy you know, creatures. But if you want to grow a diversity of plants, you have to eliminate pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, and attract beneficial insects, birds, spiders, and other numerous guardians. So we will talk about that and the basic needs for food, habitat, water, shelter, so that you can increase your outdoor amusement while learning and appreciation of nature. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are, as always. Please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. We're getting lots of people who are interested in volunteering, so check it out and consider making a donation. Carol Burnett said this miracle moment, Only I can change my life. No one can do it for me. And isn't that the truth? So when we're thinking about what's happening in our lives, remember, we have the key. And if you don't like the way something is going, you you have the power to change it or make it different. Well, in our first segment, segment here, I really wanted to discuss um, happiness and how we can be happy in these difficult times. Because research shows that joy, bliss is actually wired into our genes, into our brain circuits, and actually in our biology. And it's an integral part of our health equation. And of course, in moments like what we are currently living through, this worldwide pandemic, that we're all in this together, and apart, as they like to say, (laughs) I think that trying to find some joy and some happiness Is probably one of the most critical elements uh, for our well-being. So, in you know, a lot of hospitals, especially Lenox Hospital in New York City, and if you haven't seen the the Netflix documentary about Lenox Hospital, which was done before COVID hit, it's really really inspiring the work that's being done. But at Lenox Hospital in New York City. every time a coronavirus patient is discharged or recovers enough to breathe without the help of a ventilator, they play the Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun. And it really helps the people that are working there feel so much better because everyone in the hospital is under so much pressure and the work is relentless and when they hear that song on the loudspeaker, they, it just gives them a little bit of a break and they feel good for a moment. And it's no wonder that hospitals are playing that song and other upbeat songs repeatedly over their public address systems because it gives our ears a salve in some of these most stress-filled times. I mean, these soul-scorching places on the planet especially the intensive care units that are overflowing with COVID-19 patients that are just struggling to stay alive. So uh, feeling good might be the last thing on your mind as – The coronavirus pandemic is, what, are we going into the seventh month now, I think, in America? Uh, People are struggling to revive what's arguably one of the world's worst health and economic calamities that we faced in a lifetime. So sometimes talking about being happy just seems inappropriate or maybe even self-absorbed. But according to the experts and researchers, they say, Quite to the contrary. Pursuing happiness now is more important than almost anything else. We have to find it in our darkest times because what happiness does is it gives us the resilience to get through even tougher times. It's a challenging time because this is both physical and a mental crisis. But by focusing on happiness we're going to have a little bit less stress. And you've probably read um, in multiple newspapers or magazines or heard on the news that at least 33% of Americans right now are suffering some kind of depression or some very difficult stress because of uh, living through this time. But clearly the kind of happiness that matters in tough times. It doesn't have anything to do with, you know, just putting on a smile or or sticking a sticker on your face or wearing a birthday hat. I mean, it's this is not some kind of delusional glee that we're, you know, that we're trying to get through. The happiness that helps us in a difficult time is based in realism. And we have to recognize our fears and recognize... Um, the anxieties that we're going for, and then look for meaning because it nourishes and it sustains us. And to better understand happiness and its role in hard times, we're going to just kind of dive, take a deeper dive into the truth of joy and what you really kind of need to know. So finding positive meaning could be the most powerful leverage point for cultivating positive emotions during any time of crisis. And, you know, goodness knows this is um, one of those. This is probably one of, you know, the worst ones. The, um, and the, the converse is true as well. You know, it's intuitive for happiness to create and sustain resilience. But the converse is true. Emotional resilience, knowing how you can get through a crisis with less despair and a little more sanity and perspective, that always helps you to be happier. So that leads to happiness. And medical studies are confirming that. They found that people dealing with a serious health crisis like cancer or spinal cord injury or debilitating chronic pain, who found a higher sense of meaning in their plight also experienced better emotional well-being. And how did they do that? Well, they switched from nursing their personal sense of tragedy to encouraging empathy with others who might have it worse. And what does that remind you of? That is why people like to volunteer. Uh, Because when you help others, it's interesting how you help yourself. I say this all the time because I am the founder of Be The Star You Are charity and have been doing this almost 21 years now. But volunteers feel deep joy in what they're doing when they are truly making a difference for other people. So suffering isn't good. I mean, nobody wants to suffer. But right now, as I said, more than a third of Americans say that this pandemic is having such a serious impact on their mental health. And the American Psychiatric Association doubles down on that. And it says it's not a time to focus on fun and laughs, but Something deeper that can help. So, what we want to really focus on is positivity, which is a mix of realism, hope, and compassion. Now, Holocaust survivor and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl called this tragic optimism. And the good news about it is, we can all reach for it. So, after a crisis, it's estimated that up to two thirds of adults actually experience an increase in well-being. That that the American Psychological Association calls post traumatic growth, and I like that so much instead of post post traumatic stress, it's post traumatic growth. But getting to those constructive emotional states begins with acknowledging what is bad in your life. You can't just sweep it under the rug. So you can't just you know um, watch movies and have drinks and, and pretend it's not there. You have to let yourself feel what you're feeling. It's like face the fear, walk through it and that will help. So think about what's really important to you right now. What is in line with your values? You know, could you be kinder? Is spirituality important? Can you appreciate life in all its big things and small moments? Can you use your strengths more in the world? When you pay attention and act on these goals, those small steps will help you shape your life right now. You won't feel victimized by what's going on and it will help you be more resilient because as I write in my books, happiness is an inside job. Happiness doesn't come from the outside. So many people think, you know, they'll be happier when they have the bigger house, they have the boyfriend, the girlfriend, you know, the whatever, more money, more this, more that. But the truth is, none of that really matters. It's really what's happening on the inside. So, some things you can do besides eating well, sleeping well, exercising, and managing your stress is, um, to really not go after those wrong things, the status, the money, but instead look at those unique everyday things that truly make you happy. They're usually very, very simple things. That pillow to put your head on at nighttime, you know, some food in your belly, um, if you're lucky to have a, have a roof over your head. So here are a couple of strategies that experts have proven to increase ha- uh, happiness. Connect. Human connection is a classic recipe. It's like chicken soup for happiness. So connect with people. And whether that is on WhatsApp or FaceTime or whatever, you don't have to do it in person. But that's going to break down the multiple body systems that are bringing you down. So it's not the number of friends that you have. But it is the quality of friends and relationships. And then, of course, move and breathe. That's the exercise part. Get more oxygen to your brain. And take a moment to savor. Soak in all these wonderful moments. You know, the sunrise, the sunset, the bird song. Just the joy of being alive. So when you do that, it will increase your happiness. And as I, I really like to just do a little short meditation every day because that gives a U-curve in happiness. And every day by, by saying my gratitude, um, you can call it a prayer, you can call it a mantra, whatever. I just am grateful for whatever it is that day. Usually it's just waking up. So turn up your DNA, be happier, know that happiness is in your genes, respect yourself and decide uh, to be happy. Know that we are wired to be happy and give yourself a move lift. So all of us have that as part of our DNA and just remember Here Comes the Sun. When I come back from break, we'll be talking with Kathleen Marple-Kulp. She is the author of a fatal finale at Ella Shane Mystery. Don't go away. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We will be back after this break. Be the star you
0: are.
1: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice
2: America Empowerment.
0: Now, back to the power party. This business of
1: show. Well, we have the party starting now. Welcome back to Star Style. Be the star you are. I am Cynthia Bryan. And as promised, we have our guest with us, Kathleen Marple Cobb. She is also a weekend morning anchor at 1010 Winds in New York and has been in front of the microphone for a long time. So this is going to be fun. But she has the debut novel, A Fatal Finale, an Ella Shane mystery which is just the first of many, and it is really, really fun taking place in 1899, the Golden Age. Welcome, Kathleen, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. I appreciate it. Well, I am really happy to have you on as a fellow uh, broadcaster. This is really, it's going to be fun, and now now you're writing fiction. Yes. That's a a huge diversion there. That kind of went, you know, that's that's not great, though. Um, i bet i bet well you know i'm going to start kind of in the middle or i'm not sure exactly where i'm starting but i love the book by the way i just i love the story I, I mean it it's romantic it's sweet um, but at the same time it's elegant and it's very modern even though it's taking place in 1899 now what i wanted to first ask you about here you are you know a, a weekend anchor a broadcaster normally in the publishing world that that is a signature of having a platform. But you had over 200 rejections over three projects, yes. um, <laughs> and you had a family health crisis going on. So, how? Did, what happened with the publishing?
2: Well. Um- Platform is nice, but it's not the only thing that matters. And (laughs) and I'm also don't have a lot of have not until I've been a published fiction author, had a lot of social media platform. I'm a news person and we have a tendency to be very careful about keeping our private lives private because news people attract a certain amount of stuff. Yes, exactly. And and so I did. I didn't I had less platform than a lot of unpublished people who just get out of college because I didn't have social media accounts or anything but the real pro, the real issue was that i was writing about things that were not as interesting or as marketable as what what ended up becoming the Ella Shane book um, it's my first one was a mystery set at a radio station in vermont which sounds like a lot of fun but you know it was <laughs> okay nah, didn't didn't do as well and by the time i got to the third one it was a better you know a better product and yeah so, so
1: what, what, did, what encouraged you to start writing fiction, but based on historical, you know, events or places or people, something like that? What, Washington what, what, Square, what was that?
2: Basically, it was basically Washington Square. I walked through uh, Washington Square, the area where the where the book takes place, to get to work at Ten Ten Winds, and I kept walking through Washington Square and looking at the old townhouses and the park and thinking wow, it would be nice to go back here and write, write a story set here. And that's that was kind of the setting. The setting drew me in. And I had always wanted to write a female swashbuckler. You know, uh-huh. I grew up watching, you know, uh, Errol Flynn.
1: Errol and
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, Heaven Help Us, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. And there's always these wonderful, competent women like Olivia de Havilland or Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio who are just standing there going, Well, the guy does all the sword play, which Mm -hmm. never struck me as fair. So those two things kind of cooked together in a little soup. And when my son started kindergarten, I
1: started writing. Well, I think what was so great is your heroine, Ella. I mean, throughout the book, she is fencing and she is she, she is practicing with her, um, Her comped, you know, which I love. I love that. Fake French count. Yeah, who has? He's a friend, a fake French, but that was that's quite all right. And um, but she also is playing Romeo. So she, she, you know, although it's a Romeo and Juliet and it's an opera, she is always playing the male figure wearing the men's pants. So you obviously had to do some research about what was popular back in the Gilded Age, back in the late 1890s and this was tell us about that experience well
2: women um this was now back then of course the the joke of uh, a, a glimpse of stocking was is something shocking that's not a joke in 1899 women's the only time you would ever see anything above a woman's ankle when she was getting out of a carriage was on the beach and even then you wouldn't you'd see her stockings not her ankles so Really, the only legitimate, respectable place you might see a woman in pants was the opera house. Ah. And so this is a so there's this whole. So so L is a very hot thing because, wow, we can go see a woman in
1: pants. It's so cool. So that and, was like the fun thing.
2: Yeah, that was for for for, for a certain. And, and L actually says this, I think, in the first uh, first on the first page. There are some people, men who like the thought of coming and seeing a woman in pants and and so that that was definitely a thing that this was one of the few pla- one of the few respectable places you could see a woman in pants but of course that also cuts the other way because ella's trying very hard to be taken as a respectable lady and she's right. a respectable lady who does her job in pants
1: right right well and, and let's talk about respectable first of all she is an orphan she is from a very poor part of oh, yeah. new york she and her cousin tommy they they grew up i mean her, her mother died of typhoid and, you know, they were really poor. She's half Jewish. She's Irish. And so she's trying to celebrate everything. And yet she becomes this very powerful, famed diva. And what I loved about her, Kathleen, is how elegant she always carried herself. She was always very kind, despite these snobby society ladies who constantly wanted to put her down, you know, and let let her know where she stood in her place. Right. Right. So what I found um, so fascinating in your novel, A Fatal Finale, um, was how very current it is, because you're talking about things that are happening today, like Anorexia or bulimia—at least you, it, at least it seemed that—that's what you were alluding to. Right. The, the, it, uh, the girl who dies has a, has a yes, Juliet, yeah. whose real name was Francis, right? Right. She played Juliet, but it sounds like that—that um, was, that was a condition that she might have been suffering from.
2: Yes, and there people did have eating disorders back then. They didn't call them by the names that we call them, but um, one of Queen Victoria's daughters actually was known to be an anorexic. Uh, she had, she had a, she had a serious eating disorder. She had a, a problem with anorexia. And there were, um, there were various, nobody, we didn't call them by the names that we call them now, but there were people who had food issues back then.
1: Well, the other thing is in talking about respectable, when the Duke, you know, shows up, the whole idea is, is that how could she, she wouldn't be good enough. Ella wouldn't be good enough for the Duke because he's got titles and he's a grace. And she's, even though she's a diva, she's from nowhere. And I thought that was so wonderful because there was one passage in your book where, um, she says something to the fact of, well, you know, it's not 1999, it's 1899. Oh yes. Yes. And so was there such a, was there such a, uh, a difference of a class oh, absolutely in those days
2: very much so um, there were there were a lot of there was there was still very much um, the classes thing um even even as late as 1899, it would be there would be some question as to whether a woman who sang for a living would be a lady, would be a good woman, as they would have put it.
1: Because they were considered, they could have been considered prostitutes, because yeah. obviously she had nonstop uh, men admirers who just wanted to like set her up in an apartment or something, yes. right? Yes. Yes.
2: Grover Duquesne, captain of industry.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. captain of. Oh my gosh! Every time he came. <laughs> Oh, I just got shudders because he seemed so creepy and oily. And oh,
2: <laughs> he's coming back in the next one. He's oh, he's, good. He's around we get to keep him. So
1: yeah. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. He was. I mean, he just he just never gave up. He never gave up. But you know, with that being said, because you said that's the way they thought then. I mean, because my background is in acting and uh-huh. film, and et cetera, and right. I so definitely uh, remember when I wanted to be an actor as a child. And my parents said to me, you know, no respectable girl becomes an actress. <laughs> so it's not that long ago. You know, they're thinking in those days they're thinking of Marilyn Monroe and, you know, all right. the yeah. And so uh it's very interesting that I decided I should be a nun. Because you know that was the best thing, because being an actress was the next was the closest to prostitution, and so I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so I guess it's actually pretty recent, but so this is your character works really hard to always be on the up and up. but I love the relationship that with the Duke and then she becomes kind of a detective. Yes. so how did you weave that into the story? Well,
2: I love um, the way film and TV critics talk about something. Things have to be earned. You, know, it, you can't just drop something out of nowhere. You have to earn everything that happens. And as a writer, I really try to do that. So you build each little piece and, and as you go along, the things that the pieces of evidence grow out of the situation, you know, we find out how the girl died based on some of the things that she, that, that we have learned from her things and from, Scenes that happen on our way to find that out. You know, it grows as we go along, and even like the big final duel, which is a classic old movie duel, that's right, set exactly. up. It doesn't just show. I, it, you I, know. I thought of Errol Flynn the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was she deliberate. Was um, I, I, especially I,
1: this scene um, on the. Road. I didn't
2: want to. Yeah, I didn't want to. Uh, you know, seven o'clock headline myself. Do uh, save that for some other time when there might not be another time. And right. So I just went all the way and did it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm so glad because I think it was a it was a wonderful, you know, denouement, <laughs> they would say. All right. So I like, you know, Ella's definitely a feminist. And you have Dr. Silva, who is a female doctor. How common was that? there actually
2: were by this point, by that point, 1899, there actually were female doctors and they would have probably been in the kind of practice that Dr. Silver's in a, a family practice, you know, taking care of mostly women and children and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. There mm-hmm. were licensed female physicians by that point.
1: And, and, it, and- I mean, but, but it had to be pretty rare. One of my friend's grandmother was one of the first dentists. I mean, one of the yes. first, you know, Female dentist to go through dental school and it was in the 30s or something. Right, it was still very rare then. Rare,
2: yeah. The fact that um, Dr. Silver is treating mostly women and children makes her kind of a little less threatening, say, to the men in the medical profession. Uh She's got Uh a little. uh, Go
1: ahead.
2: No, I'm sorry. The other thing that's cool about Dr. Silver is I borrowed my husband's aunt's first name for her.
1: Oh, is that right?
2: Yes, and and, uh, Aunt Edith is also a doctor. (laughs) oh
1: <laughs> there you also, go i bet she loves it i just love it she probably loves that but a little you know.
2: tip of the cap you know
1: that's that was a good idea that was a good idea well you also have cousin tommy i i love how protective he is and i like also how much you interwove some gaelic words uh, whether they're irish or scottish uh, i've spent a lot of time in ireland so they were recognizable right away but uh So the priest and Tommy are very close. In fact, they say that they're like soul brothers or something. They're friends.
2: They're very close friends. Yeah.
1: Very close friends. Yes. So, um, because Tommy is a confirmed bachelor, does is that a prelude to him being gay in that time period? Uh, Tommy's as as
2: gay as it's possible to be in 1899. Yeah. Okay. He's still
1: in a closet, pretty dark closet.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean. He, but but he manages to have a very happy and fulfilling life because people assume that since he was a boxing champion, he just didn't yeah. marry because somebody broke his heart or whatever. You're right. He's so he champ. has a perfectly happy life because people think, you know, he's a boxing champ. He couldn't be, you know, what, what they would have called at that time a sissy.
1: So. Right. And he's, and, and he's also... Uh, large and, you know, very powerful. Yeah. So he actually scares people. <laughs> oh yeah.
2: He, he does. Until, until you realize that he's actually that he's
1: just, just a pussy cat.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, it's uh, probably important to note here that the father Michael and Tommy relationship is just a friendship. That's yeah. they're very close friends, but that's all they're very mm-hmm. close friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. there's no implication of anything else there yeah
1: no i and you don't read that into the story in fact the reality is is you don't really read that tommy could be um homosexual really either because it's not like he's after anybody he he really just cares about his cousin and wants to protect her and and of course he loves the theater right yeah. He does, and yeah. and also and books and books and
2: and, books. You know, and, and um, one of, one of my favorite scenes is when all of them, uh, Tommy and Father Michael and Ella and the Duke, are sitting around the dinner table talking about Abraham Lincoln. Because <laughs> it's it's in the period, but you can mm-hmm. tell that all of these
1: people really read and really think about what they read. Right. Yes. Right. 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 And they can have a very intelligent conversation, which is. You know, which is very it is interesting too. Now, what about the cook? It's. I wish I had her as a cook. I don't Isn't have a cook. I, yeah, right. I, I, but <laughs> right. But oh my gosh, Mrs. G, all of her her goodies and her teas and her. It just sounded like people were clamoring to to come over just to have a bite of whatever it was that she was preparing. And she's always making
2: little comments about the visitors in the in the food.
1: Mm-hmm, the people mm-hmm. she
2: doesn't like get bread and butter. The people she likes get really nice, nice things. It, right. and, and that continues. We'll, we'll be seeing. We'll be seeing we'll, more. We'll be of seeing
1: her, her. I, Are we going to see more of her, perhaps falling in love? Because I, I like that she is perhaps being courted a little bit now. Oh yeah, by by Preston. Yes, by Preston. Who it's is very one of my favorite
2: people. I love Preston.
1: Yes. Okay. So, talking about your people. Tell us how you go ahead and um, decipher how your characters. Are you the kind of writer that puts together an outline, or do the characters just show up and then you go, "Oh, that he's interesting or she's interesting," and you know you keep going. How do they? How do they evolve?
2: Mostly what they call, and, and this sounds like something in one of my ten-year-olds' books. I'm mostly what they call a pantser. You fly by the seat of your pants. Your pants. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, i start with the beginning and the end and then i work my way in and somewhere around a third to, to um a half of the way there i write an outline because then i and, know how i'm gonna get there
1: and what about your son has he contributed to any of the thoughts like hey mom this would be fun or you know because you have little kids you, yeah. you have the cutie pie in there and montezuma oh my gosh i have I have a good friend who has has parrots, and Mont- uh-huh. everything
2: that Montezuma does has been backstop with my friend who has parrots. So parrots are capable of doing everything that Montezuma
1: Oh, you know what? My grandmother had parrots, and it was hysterical because they would mimic things. And I'll never forget my aunt getting changed to go swimming, and all of a sudden she hears, you know, the wolf whistle. I can't whistle, yes. but... You know, like- <laughs> The wolf whistle, and then she hears, "What you doing? What you doing?" And she thought somebody was watching her. She didn't. Oh. <laughs> the first time, she didn't know that it was the parrot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I bet I thought it was so fun because I I do think during that time period and maybe the first thirty forty years in that time period, um, parrots were really popular. Right.
2: Right. He would have been very exotic at that point.
1: Yeah, they were a pop, an exotic, an exotic, an exotic creature, but th- they learned so quickly. Yes. So you actually see this from a friend. That is really this oh, was yeah, fascinating. Absolutely. If I want to
2: want Montezoo, whenever I'm thinking about having him do something, I run it past my friend because you know he has he has two of them, and they they uh-huh. so you know. And they do they say? That?
1: do they say love the birdie?
2: <laughs> yeah, they, they say other things, but they all yeah. have, they have their thing that announces
1: themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I just pick it up. Okay, well, we don't have a lot of time, but I want you to talk about, so you're a weekend anchor, yes. you're a mom, and now you're a writer and um, and a published author, and you're going to be doing more in this series. So how yes. are you juggling it all? Uh,
2: pretty much the same way we do everything, you know. These days, you just show up and do it, right? Um, being a being a fourth grade assistant teacher this last six months has been interesting. But yes, you know, how is it,
1: that going? Are you, you know, still anchoring on the weekends? Oh yeah, and we're doing
2: work from home. Thank, from thank home, heavens.
1: they've been like very, everybody.
2: Yeah, like everybody else, they've been very, very kind to um, set us up with work from home, and and the technology has been very good, and mm. I've been lucky. I've been able to get home.
1: Isn't it? And it's kinda it's kind of wonderful, except for when you have youngsters that you do have to do the online schooling at the same time. But how are you coping?
2: Not bad. I mean most I mean there's probably more screen time than there should be. I think I think every parent will tell you that. You know what? Every parent says that
1: exact thing. But you know what? Who cares?
2: Yeah, you know, we're all we're all gonna get through this in the end and that's what really matters, that we're all here to figure it out
1: later absolutely that's all that matters all right so what's next what's the next one in a fatal finale i'm hoping that she's going to end up in london and going to uh, be called on by the duke actually the next one doesn't take place in london it takes place in new york
2: during the premiere of their next opera really yeah so we
1: but, wait but that for london i hope is the duke going to come over and watch this uh, one oh, uh, We don't know yet or you're you not going to tell
2: me no i do know and then you know okay very no mild spoiler um, we'll you'll be seeing more of the Duke in the next one, A Fatal First Night.
1: He was charming. I really—he's such—he's um, he, definitely a man who respects women and respects yes. women who work.
2: And what I wanted to do was have him have to prove himself worthy to her instead of the, instead the other, of the other way.
1: And that's what—I think you really accomplished that because he is constantly— um, the things that he says, she keeps saying, Hmm, well, he is a kind of a good man, you know, yeah. but we always hear that the men are after other things and, but he never comes across that way. So yeah. you're, whatever it is, you're doing, you're, you're getting it exactly the way you want it. I think. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Well. It's this has been wonderful. A, Thank you so much. Well, it's just a fun, fun book. It's called The Book is Called A Fatal Finale, An Ella Shane Mystery. This is part of a series. As you just heard, the next one's going to take place in New York when they put on their next performance of the opera. And then hopefully we'll go to London, maybe? isn't Because that was the next stop, right? Wasn't it San Francisco, New York, London?
2: Well, um... I don't want to give away too much, but uh, we spend a lot of time in New York, as New York is a character in the book.
1: Uh huh. Well, and we you do eventually get to London. Uh, and York you is... are you are working in New York, well, you know, right now, or via Connecticut or whatever. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. so, right. so uh, New York is in a very important a uh, very important place. Well, let's give out Kathleen's website. It's Kathleen Marple Kalb and Kathleen K A T H L E E N M A R P L E K A L B dot com. Of course, you can just look up the book, A Fatal Finale, anywhere that books are sold. She's available on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And this is just a lovely romp. Through the entertainment industry as it was in the Gilded Age. And so I really recommend it. I think it, people will really enjoy this book. I know I did, Kathleen, and Good. I'm so well, glad.
2: That's the yeah, whole point. It's supposed so to be a good glad ride. That, yeah.
1: that we connected because it's just been, it's been really fun. And I'm so glad that you put the whole swashbuckling element into it because you know what? That was one of the first things I did when I got to UCLA is I took fencing. Yes. <laughs> women, who, women who take acting often have to take stage fencing. And that's, I thought that was a lot of fun. So, yeah. I thought it was, I mean, I just loved it. I mean, that's part of what we did have to do you know i mean i'm not ha- you have to but but it's also it's, it's also very empowering yes it's so enjoyable and you walk out of there and you feel strong and you just you feel exactly. equal you know so yeah. i'm really i think that was a such a great choice well again the book a fatal finale kathleen it's been a joy kathleen so marple Find the book wherever you hunt for books online uh, these days, of course. Or uh, go to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. A Fatal Finale. Thank you, Kathleen, for a great Thank you so much. Thank you. now be the star you are. Thank you. Best, this
2: has been wonderful.
1: Best of success. Uh, and I can't wait to read your next one. Thank you. <laughs> I'm you're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style Be the Star You Are. We'll be back in a bit. We're going to go into the garden and we're going to find guardians of the garden galaxy. Stay with me, more to come. Be
0: the star you are,
1: the star you
2: your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan.
1: If you're a boss and you have unhappy, underachieving employees, the problem may be you. Here are a few ideas to help you be a great boss. Be a role model. Set the pace for your company. Talk regularly about job performance with your employees. Make your workers the most important people, because they are. Let your employees know their opinions are valued. Don't micromanage. Praise often and criticize only when necessary. Hire talented people. Great bosses surround themselves with smart, savvy employees. Your workforce is a reflection of who you are. So choose and manage wisely. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another Business Bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. Bryan with an I. Be the star
0: you are. The star you
1: Power Party is back. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where you're coming live on the Voice America Network. I really enjoyed A Fatal Finale. It was such a, a great escape uh, from all the craziness that's going on in this world and a look back at 1899. So pick up a copy. I think you'll have fun. Well, William Shakespeare said, Nature teaches beasts to know their friends. And the gray turtle dove darted from my mulberry tree to the wooden nest box and then back again. And thinking there must be eggs, I grabbed my camera just to discover there was a baby dove nestled in a hollowed nest. And the mother bird was standing there proudly. And the sounds of that gentle cooing surrounded this bucolic scene. And I felt so blessed that these birds have chosen my garden in which to settle. So it made me think about a healthy garden. If you want a healthy, glorious summer garden, you have to invite the beneficial insects, the arachnids, the birds, the amphibians, the reptiles, they have to call your landscape home. Now many people scream at the sight of a snake or a lizard or they start swatting as soon as they see a spider. But these beneficial biologicals devour the insects and predators that capture prey that are destroying your garden. So you definitely want to have them. Now everybody knows about lady beetles, known as ladybugs, and people love them. And people understand the value of honeybees but did you know that frogs and hoverflies and ground beetles and praying mantids and lacewings, they are all invaluable friends to our garden. So the guardians of my garden galaxy are plentiful and ubiquitous. Every day as I walk through my oasis, I am greeted by numerous lizards darting from rock to plant, frogs hopping to hide under a leaf, spiders weaving webs, bumblebees, hoverflies, honey bees sucking nectar from a variety of species, and of course, hummingbirds and birds making nests or dining on insects. Now, my favorite garden guardian is the king snake. And I have a few of them in my garden. Now, most people shriek when they see a snake, but these snakes, they eat gophers, they eat moles, voles, and most of all, for me, because I live in the country up against uh, hills, and the hills in California, they call them golden, but they're really brown and dry and very fire prone. But king snakes keep the rattlesnakes away. So for that, I'm really grateful. Now our garden colleagues keep nature in balance without the use of pesticides, herbicides, insecticides. By using integrated pest management, natural sources of nutrients, including compost and mulch, you can fertilize and keep your garden healthy. And the more of these creatures you have in your garden, the healthier your garden will be. So here are some benefits of inviting our flying, hopping, slithering, and scooting comrades into your garden. First of all, the birds. As they fly from tree to tree, birds are actual pollinators and they add more blooms and fruit, which will then in turn attract more birds. And then birds eat a variety of pests, including mosquitoes and aphids and grubs and slugs and spiders. And then the large birds, such as owls and hawks, they'll eat rodents, voles, moles, squirrels, rats, and other unwelcome critters. And they will help control weeds by eating the weed seeds. And, of course, watching birds and listening to their song reduce stress. So invite birds to your landscape by offering a water source, which in, will include a gurgling fountain or a birdbath, birdhouses for shelter and nesting, feeders for seed, even putting a pie tin in the bushes with seeds or pick clover and dandelions are going to attract them, and plant a selection of flowering plants, shrubs, berries for them to enjoy. The next one, frogs and toads. They are nature's pest control. They eat caterpillars, cutworms, bugs, beetles, grubs, slugs, grasshoppers and many other uh, detrimental insects. So you can invite them to your landscape by offering a place to hide because they are very shy creatures. They prefer a cool shaded area with lots of moisture and plants. You can turn over a flower pot and they'll make a house. And then if you can have a little pond, even a little one, They love that because they'll lay their eggs and then you'll get the fun of watching the baby tadpoles. Now, lizards, reptiles are excellent eaters of garden pests, including slugs and harmful insects. A plethora of lizards living in your landscape is an indicator of a healthy ecosystem. The food you grow will be free of heavy metals and pesticides since lizards cannot thrive in a hazardous environment. So if you see lizards, your garden is healthy. And you can invite lizards to your landscape by offering only natural methods of pest control, avoidance of all weed killers, mulching to regulate moisture in the soil, rocks, bricks, stones for sunbathing, sun not sunbathing, sunbathing, and a saucer or small small container with water for drinking. Now, snakes. Garter snakes and king snakes are especially beneficial because they eat insects and rodents. Now, one snake can devour an entire Rate rat family in two weeks. Kin snakes also kill rattlesnakes and keep them away. And you want to make sure that you know the good snakes from the poisonous ones because, in different parts of the country, there are different kinds of poisonous snakes, and you want to make sure that you're not, you know, you don't want a copperhead. So you can invite snakes to your landscape by offering a hiding place in bushes, tree stumps, driftwood, or even a metal panel, and a water source on the ground, which would be a small bird bath, a fountain, or what I call a butterfly bowl, which is just a saucer that you put some... Um, gravel or um, things in, and it'll they'll be great. Ladybugs, also known as lady beetles um, or ladybird beetles, their larvae look like alligators, and both the adults and the larvae are voracious general pest predators of aphids, beetles, caterpillars, lace bugs, mealy bugs, mites, scales, whiteflies, and insect eggs. The larvae consume over 40 aphids per hour, and an adult ladybug will consume over 5,000 aphids in a lifetime. And if you have a small garden or a minimal pest population in the large garden, they will fly away. So just rejoice because your garden is organically balanced and you can invite them into your landscape by just having a wide range of flowering plants to attract and keep them on site. Hoverflies, they're also known as surabid flies or flower flies, and they earned their name because they hover over flowers to sip the nectar, much like hummingbirds. They look similar to bees, but they don't sting, and they're not harmful to humans. And they're primarily pollinators, but their larvae are pest predators. So again, just nectar and pollen-producing plants will keep them there. And spiders, I'll just end with spiders, they'll help maintain a healthy balance in your garden by eating the harmful pests from spring through winter. You can control bad insects because they reduce plant pathogens that will damage the plant tissues. And most spiders are peaceful. And the common web builder is the yellow and black spider and the black wolf spiders, They're active hunters. And there's really not that many black widows. If you know what they look like, you can get, keep away from them. So just grow a diversity of plants, eliminate pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, and you'll attract beneficial insects, birds, spiders, reptiles, and numerous other Gardens of the Garden Galaxy. So just provide those basic needs and know your friends and protect them. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks for being great listeners and staying tuned to our Wednesdays with writers and performers right here on Star Style Be The Star You Are, 4 to 5 every Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. For more information about Star Style, visit CynthiaBryan.com. To make a donation to Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this show, visit btsya.org. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate you. So cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate today. And read a book this week. It's like a garden in your pocket. Pick up a copy of A Fatal Finale. It is really a fun read. Until next week when we celebrate once again, remember, love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you. Be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self. Be here next Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific for Wednesdays with writers and performers on Star Style. Be the star you are. Have a great week. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you
0: are. The star you